This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South Soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, Atlanta? This is the Mouse Out Podcast brought to you by Dirty South Soccer, not in the palatious 680 of the Fan Studios. We're in each other's respective homes, our, our, our domiciles, our place of, oh, you got the yerba mate. I like it. <laughs> but in a can. It's not the same, man. It's not the same. Um, I'm Eric Quintana. He's Josh Bagrianski. The other guy is Sam Franco. Gentlemen, big news today. Frank DeVore out as manager. What happened? And it, initial what? thoughts. Frank DeVore out? <laughs> No, oh, Josh, I, I, we I, forgot I, to tell Josh, guys. We're sorry. We forgot to tell well, Josh. You might not be last, ready for this. Last I heard, we were just flying a plane over Orlando with the DeBoer out uh, uh, banner on it. I did. So hey, it John happened. Champion had verified sources there, okay? It was all a dream, and then it became reality. Isn't it crazy, guys, a lot of this stuff? You know, there's been a lot of kind of hysterical stuff over the last week. Um, and this always happens when you're a bigger club and you're going through issues like this. But so much of what we've seen that maybe at the time or that we saw or we heard that at the time seemed maybe bizarre or a little overly dramatic, so much of it really makes sense now. Oh, you're speaking of the Carlos Bocanegra thing on the sidelines? Oh, that I mean from the Bocanegra stuff to yeah. I, I mean, I know that we as a podcast have been contacted. I mean, and again, you don't know. I mean, just stuff that we've heard um, um, from – "Quote unquote sources, and you, you never, you, know, you never really know what to believe. But clearly, a lot of what has been said behind the scenes, and just what we've actually seen in public, like you guys, like you said, Eric, with the uh, part, portion of the Columbus game where Carlos Bocanegra comes down to the sideline and is talking to Jeff Lorenowitz about tactics. So many bizarre things have happened in the last week, and they all make sense now." So I got, I was, I was a uh, someone reached out to me, a friend of the show, Christian Hennage, um, who. It told me about a conversation he had with uh, Matt Doyle about how Atlanta made the same mistake that uh, Crystal Palace made. They hired DeBoer, uh, then were kind of shocked when the squad couldn't play to his hyper-specific way, which, you know, I, I'm i now leaning more toward the belief that the club was – or the players themselves were like, we can't take this anymore. We, we just can't take this anymore. And there's nothing they can really do about it, but they can express their opinion enough to where um, it's obvious that, you know – that a change needs to be made because I look at the situation in 2020 and I'm thinking, well, you know, would you want to pay a manager, a new manager uh, for a season that might not happen in 2020? Would you, is there anyone that's going to be willing to take the job? I have a feeling, and I I could be wrong. I have a feeling that it's just going to be an interim manager for the rest of the 2020 season. And then 2021 is when we get a new manager that um, starts to kind of write, well, hopefully writes the ship for Atlanta United. I I just don't know. I don't know what the bio, I, I we're assuming it's a two and two, uh, sort of situation, much like the contract Tata Martino had, um, Frank DeBoer's contract, that is. So I, I'm under the impression that they could have just waited out the rest of this year, declined the, declined the extension or the option, and, um, and, and been done then, which would have made a lot of sense to me because, again, what is there really to play for this year? Um, sure, in name, you've got the MLS Cup and all that stuff, but there's always going to be an asterisk next to this season. So it's, you know – Maybe that's just a, a an outsider's perspective on the whole thing, but that's how I saw it. That's how I saw it. I, I didn't expect them. I'm not surprised, but I'm also kind of intrigued by the decision because uh, because of what 2020 has sort of become for everyone. 
you know, I think I'm going to very like oversimplify what I think happened here. Ultimately, Frank DeBoer and like to do that. I think you have to go back to the beginning because even when the hire was first made, you know, Atlanta United's first manager was Tata Martino. They were a very highly influenced by South American style, South American tactics type of team, not just in their manager from Tata Martino, but also in the players that they ended up bringing in. So even from the beginning of the Frank DeBoer era, you see him brought in, and you mentioned the word outsider there, Eric, and I think that's a great word because he's this guy coming in to this system and, and, and this culture and, and completely trying to upend everything. And I think obviously we saw that last season with LGP speaking out, with some of the players speaking out. And I think at the time we thought we're starting to see Frank DeBoer maybe not be as stubborn. But I think a lot of those old habits, you know, kind of crept back in and this team kind of assembled this year a team that, as we talked about, is much less talented than the teams that Land United has had in the past. And it just all kind of, you know, fell apart from Frank's perspective of wanting to, to, to run this team the way he does and the players kind of, you know, revolting against it. And I think, again, kind of oversimplifying here, but Frank DeBoer has a style – and you see this a lot with managers that were great players. And I say he's a great player because he played at Barcelona. You don't play at Barcelona mm-hmm. unless you're a very, very talented player. So, yes, he was, a, he was a great player. That doesn't always translate to being a great manager just because sometimes it's hard to really understand the struggles of your players. And I think a guy like Frank DeBoer coming from the upper echelon European, you know, style of soccer coming over to MLS – was always going to find a hard time like understanding the struggles of these players that, you know, quite frankly, aren't as talented as players that he's used to working with. And I think that ultimately, you know, he's expecting too much with a system that demands too much out of your players, especially being able to kind of cover for other players that are out of position. You know, I just think ultimately it was a bad fit from the beginning as much as we wanted it to work out. It just didn't. And so this isn't like a celebratory like podcast where I'm not sitting here like cracking open this mate and drinking it, you know, in celebration. Because when you fire your manager, that means your team isn't good. And I think that, you know, combined or a combination of Frank DeBoer not being a good fit and also, quite frankly, the players that they've, they've brought in, and we've said this at nauseum, but the players they brought in as replacements, you know, aren't up to snuff or aren't up to the level that the other guys were. So, of course, you're going to take steps back as a team. And I know, I know that, you know, we'll get into, because there are two sides of this, right? I mean, there's the why was he fired, and then there's the why. Like, mutual Sam- separation, Josh. Right. Mutual. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mutual separation, right? Mutual separation. He was just That is something I want to get into because that's, that's very specific. Uh, we all know what that means. You know, look. <laughs> Yeah, right. BS is what it is. He couldn't handle the gentrification in Atlanta. DeBoer, he had to get out. He just, you know, mutually had to part ways, you know. Let the old fourth war just isn't what it used to be, damn it. It's not what it used to be. But I think, you know, so there's two parts to this, right? There's the what Sam just mentioned. Why is this team so lacking from a personnel standpoint? And then number two is why did he get fired so abruptly? And, and I, I think it has to be – uh, player unrest because it just it doesn't make sense I think to aside from the fact that and we've talked about it so much about how Frank DeBoer's tactics might be a little flawed he might be over coaching uh, as Sam alluded to having too many specific directions for players that need to just be allowed to sometimes be creative and improvise but in the end why is this decision made at this time and I really do and I'm just totally speculating um, uh, but again 
I really think it's because of player unrest. So suddenly, uh, and to do it now, like Eric said, you don't even know if you're going to play another match this season, you know? So to do this, there have to be people pushing you. It can't it, it, on the ground. It can't just be a, a, a tactical thing or a system thing with it, not with him not being a group, though that that's all true to me, this only reaches a breaking point at this time, unless you have so much uh, discussion from players about wanting them gone that you just have no other option to just go with an interim manager and ride out the rest of the season. So it's interesting you bring up the, the, uh, the player unrest angle. Um, and I want to go back to – because before all this happened, we were going to talk about uh, some of the player quotes, Frank DeBoer's quotes after the match, after getting uh, – after the exit from the MLS's back tournament. Uh, Brad Guzan on how to th- turn things around before the next match, which presumably be this, this – whatever the season is that's going to happen after the tournament. There is no magic answer. We have to get back to the training pitch. We have to work harder. At the same time, we need to have some real conversations, some real conversations because this is not something that just happened. Three games, six halves of football, and we showed up for the, for the last half. The second half was better today. Not nearly good enough for what Atlanta United stands for and the club, uh, the club that we've all known this club to be. We have to get back to work. It's not even close to being good enough. That's the first part of it. There's got to be some change. There's got to be some sort of change on the field. There's got to be communication, conversations, but then there's got to be a response to that. It can't just be talk, 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 and then we get on the field and do the same thing we've been doing. This didn't just happen in one game. This has happened in four games. Not good enough. Not good enough as an individual, as a group. There needs to be change. There needs to be uh, the conversation that, uh, that take place. Uh, there has to be a different product shown on the field. Yeah, and, you know, guys, we, you know, and we talk about this with the other writers at Dirty South Soccer. Brad Guzan is known for being a guy who gives you nothing as a medium. <laughs> yeah. This is a lot for someone I mean, that gives you nothing. The ultimate, both teams play it hard, uh, dude. Yeah. And, you know, we were, we were going to talk about those, those quotes, and there was so much to take from them. But now you look at it and you're like, wow, so much of this is, is directed straight at the manager and is emblematic mm-hmm. of what's going on in the locker room at that time. As a, and don't get me wrong. I like that he included the responsibility of the players. And certainly, as we've discussed, the players have a lot of work to do, regardless of who they are. And just to give more context, he does say that regardless of the manager, the players have to go in there. The players have to do their job. They're professionals, all that stuff. He goes, he goes, he's asked about specifically Frank DeBoer and, and uh, the status of the manager. And that's a distraction. And he goes into the players having to take personal responsibility for the play on the field. Because at some point, well, he had to resort the players back gotta, to his player speak, though. Question. I mean, he, he yeah, wasn't but, just I mean, going at some, to have. At some, <laughs> point, at some point, the players have to play and the players have to perform, regardless of the, the formation you're in. No question. And I, and I Talent at some point has, has to come into play. I think he did a good job of speaking to that as a leader. But, again – Well, we, then he called out George Bello, which wasn't very leader Well, after game one – and actually, we haven't talked about that yet, but that was completely uncalled for, I thought, from Guzman. But, um, for the most part, this is a guy who gives you nothing, whether the team is struggling, whether they're playing well. So, when he comes out and says all of those things, he's holding the players accountable. But it does show you that maybe something else is going on because, like I said, this is not the first – bad run of form the team has done through you know i mean you've only played five matches uh in totality in in mls this year so it's not like this is the first time that atlanta united have dropped uh three of five matches but yet in those times you heard from guzan more of the you know we gotta get pedaled to the metal we gotta go out there and work harder and he kind of said that this time but that quote that you read off eric is so much different and so much more incendiary and again I think now that we've seen what's happened with Frank DeBoer it really indicates that there was just so much unrest in that locker room that Atlanta United had no choice 
uh, but to move on from Frank DeBoer. All right. So, so one other thing before we kind of dive into specifics and get into the, the, you know, uh, the, (laughs) the, 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 the meats and potatoes. Uh, I wanted to read off part of the statement, at least part of, at least part of the statement that uh, Atlanta United and uh, Darren Eels kind of released Uh, on behalf of mutually agreed upon statement. part ways in winning two trophies in his first season in charge he will always be part of the club's history and with great appreciation and respect we wish uh we wish him all the best in the future so number one number one it's gotta if you look at the positive he did have a successful 2019 season as much as we hate to kind of admit it and i do because it looked rough for all of it basically um the second of this is this the second thing i wanted to bring up with this is the club admitting it made a mistake to, to, to engage this conversation before we, what we would assume his, his uh, you know, the, the, the second year of his two-year uh, contract or whatever um, is up, this is the club admitting they made a mistake, in my opinion. Uh, because otherwise, assuming that he has a two-and-two two like Tata did, um, they would have just waited to the end of the season, regardless yeah. of what the fans thought, regardless of what the players thought. This is the, this is the club admitting they made a mistake in hiring him, ultimately. They, I mean, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of teams, a lot of professional teams do this, uh, and they don't necessarily come out and say that they made a mistake, but this is the club saying this is the wrong guy. And Boom. I think that, that that's directed at the players almost, too, because if you're a player... I, let me, let me, sorry, let, let, me, let me rephrase. Right. Maybe not a mistake to hire him, but that we got the pick wrong. No, but I think that's important that they say that and important that they make that move now because we've been talking about all the player unrest and particular guys who have been here over the last couple seasons. They, they want to get a message from their club also that they recognize that they made a mistake bringing this guy in. So hopefully, if we're correct, there is all was this distrust of DeBoer and all those things, and I think we, we are. Hopefully, this statement will give the club more trust for whoever comes in next that the club acknowledges they made a mistake bringing in a manager in Frank DeBoer who didn't fit the culture, didn't fit the tactics, didn't, you know, fit all of these different things, that they're at least conceding that to players that, okay, we're not going to force this guy down your throats anymore. We're going to find someone who maybe meshes a little bit better with what you guys want to do. So the team's admitting that they made a mistake, but I think also doing that is letting their players know, and they need to do better on a lot of levels, but at least that's letting the players know we're going we're gonna to do a better job or at least try to do a better job with who we look for and who we hire in this upcoming process. I can understand me, on – Hold on. Let, let, me, let, me preface, on. let me preface something really quick by before, like, jumping off into, like, a contrarian, you know, standpoint or whatever. Like, I think this was the right move. I, I, I will fully say that because of the way the team was playing. It just didn't feel like the right fit. But there is a little bit of a worry, I think, when you see – the players or at least the rumors of the players being unhappy and this player unrest and stuff and that kind of being the driving force behind this and then you've also got like you know friend of the uh, program uh, Doug Robertson like basically asking Frank if he was going to resign like at the last press conference it's like all this stuff the, the media narrative and the the player unrest stuff it's like a little bit of letting like you make these big important club decisions with like influence from from areas you probably shouldn't be influenced by the players are one thing but the outside noise is another thing so I am a a little concerned in a sense that like you know yes it was the right move at this time to to try to go in a different direction but you don't want it to seem like you're doing this because you know 
basically the what's the old saying of the inmates running the asylum or whatever and I know that that's a very insensitive way of saying that and coaches have gotten in trouble for saying that but you know you just don't want to have that sort of perception of you as a club that you're kind of swaying in the wind a lot of the times when it comes to making these decisions well correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation I it's not they don't don't really I, I can't imagine I mean the club has done stuff that goes against the wishes of the fan base and the media all the time. Like that, that's, I seriously doubt that, that the media has had, or the fan base has had any influence on, on a, well, the fan base maybe, but well, I'll put it this way. I don't think they, it's not like they were blind to what, what, what the fan base was seeing too. I'm, I'm sure that, I'm sure that they saw the same thing. You know what? They saw the same things the fans are saying for the most part. So it's not like, it's not like the fans caused this. It's this. Well, is no, but it might reacting. affect your ability to go out and get a coach in the future. Like if they think that you're not like, you know, going to listen to them, you're going to listen to other outside factors or, or the players are going to have more of a say than, than the, the coaches. You know, a lot of coaches don't want to come into that kind of environment. Yeah. I think it's more about the players dictating. Yeah. Same. I think so. Because the club has, the club has clearly with the players going public about DeBoer, the club has clearly pushed back on them. Right. I mean, the, uh, not that that's the reason that Perez is gone or, or, you know, but, but the club clearly pushed back on the initial resistance against Frank DeBoer. They doubled down on the system that he wanted to play uh, in the off season by bringing in a bunch of wingbacks, uh, you know, and playing, wanting to play this, I guess you, well, it really is an attacking style, but it didn't look like that um, from Frank DeBoer. You know, so the club really pushed back, I thought, on that player unrest and was like, you know, look, chill. We, you know, we know you love Tata. We know that he, you know, he fit well with you in, in terms of culture. Obviously, uh, language was big for a lot of the players. You guys are going to need to learn to deal with this guy because he knows his stuff. And now we're seeing them finally saying, okay, <laughs> you know, that holding their, you know, like you said, Eric, admitting that you made a mistake to those players, but now you have a really important with the next hire, right? Do you go overboard the other way and bring in a player's coach to the point where he's ineffective? Do you bring in uh, another disciplinarian? Uh, actually, I don't know if the Frank DeBoer was a disciplinarian, but do you bring in a disciplinarian to get these players in line? Or, or are you just going to make the right hire for the club? So I think who they hire, and we won't know how the hire works out for another year or so, but how that hire works out, I think, will be very indicative of how the front office reacts to this player unrest and whether they are, as Sam said, kind of letting the inmates run the asylum, so to speak. Well, imagine being uh, Eric Lopez. Imagine being Jurgen Dam, or imagine being Castro or Joseta, who just walked into this club and has played five games under Frank DeBoer, and now your manager's gone. Did you see Brooks uh, Lennon's face in that press con? I mean, I know he <laughs> Guzans are going off about the crisis, and he's like, "Dude, I've been here for like two weeks. I just played 270 minutes. I'm like, dead. And what have I walked into? You know? But it, you're, you're you're totally right, man. Like, the the t- t- you have the players who have been here for a while, uh, and but you also have the players who just got here. And I don't know that they necessarily wanted Frank DeBoer out because they were probably still trying to impress the manager and the club. So, to build off of what you guys are saying, this might create a division in the locker room. Particularly, particularly if this leads to some inconsistency over the upcoming matches, where you might have guys like Lennon who have just come in and saying, "Hey, what, what you know, what, what are you, what are you guys doing here?" And then obviously you have the older guard who remember what it was like and want to go back to that. So you might see a division in the locker room as well here in terms of you have the DeBoer out crowd, and then maybe not the DeBoer in crowd, but the crowd who was just trying to get their footing as Atlanta United players, which is a ton of the roster, because as we've discussed. 
this is a completely overhauled roster over the last two seasons, particularly over this last offseason. And you definitely can't, you know, just blame Frank DeBoer here for any of this. Like, I mean, you, you, you take a look at those players, and you mentioned some of them by name, like Posetto, I, I thought, you know, hasn't really been able to make an impact on this team. Castro has been pretty bad. Uh, you know, even going back to players who are already on the team, like Pitty's been bad. Um, you know, Adam John, I feel like, you know, it's like, yeah, I know he's on the team, but has he done anything? J.J. Uh, Williams, we saw what happened with him. Yeah. So, like, there's, there's just so, so many of these guys you brought in, like, again, have just not shown you really anything. In particular, like, Josetu was supposed to be a guy that came in and, and be able to impact things pretty quickly, and he hasn't done anything. Yeah, and I, well, I, I, so I'll agree with you on all that. The one thing I will say is that it's it's the job of the manager to get the best out of their players. That's the one true, thing I true. thought that Frank DeBoer was not even even in a in a ridiculous season that's been 2020. He, even in not 2019, he's not getting yeah. the best he, out of his play. Well, actually, in 2019, he probably did a pretty good job of that. But there were moments. I think there was just a stretch of 2019 where he got good stuff not their best but good stuff out of pity enough to carry him into into a, a sure. you know a, but, but a you, lengthy run in the playoffs if you talk about pt 2019 on the whole yes he closed the season well but it's certainly it's still bad frank DeBoer is not getting the best out of and right. i want to kind of combine uh a couple a couple of the points that you guys are making about uh the personnel that frank DeBoer saddled with it also the personnel he's been given doesn't match up with I think his tactical system, which I think is flawed. Again, uh, you know I wrote an article about this for Dirty South Soccer where there were these questions about the club's direction, and 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 my rebuke to that was you can uh, you can question the direction, but the direction itself is clear, right? I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you signed a bunch of wingbacks, so you're indicating you're completely committed to a back three this season. You re, you know you retain PT, you retain Barco, you retain Joseph, so you want to play that three four three system. So my question is then, why does the front office not bring in any any competent center midfielders? Why are you going into a season where you're going to play a 3-4-3 three, three, with two center mids you're asking to go box-to-box, and the center midfielders you have are Jeff Lorenowitz, Mo Adams, Eric Rometty, Emerson Heinemann. None of those guys are dynamic enough to play in that system. And then on top of that, who are the wingbacks you bring in? Jake Mulraney, who's not even really a wingback. <laughs> George Bellow is like six years old. He's still here. I mean, he's been, <laughs> he's been doing it. I've been very positive about George Bellow. Edgar, Edgar Castillo, who has never been a particularly good defensive player, you know, and then on the right side, you, you could put you could put Escobar there. Gressel goes. Lennon is good, but he's not Gressel in terms of giving you assists. So it's like you had this system you knew you were going to play, you knew you were committed to, and you didn't sign enough players to from a depth standpoint, and you didn't sign quality enough of the players for those players to execute what Frank DeBoer wants. I'm not saying Frank DeBoer's system was not flawed tactically. I'm not saying he was a good manager, but it's hard to make things work when these are the personnel your front office saddles you with. When you say, look, I'm glad you retained me. I want to play 3-4-3 this year. And they say, okay, here's Jake Mulraney. You know, that's, this is that's, the battle, though. <laughs> this is the battle between front office and coach. 
like being like, okay, I want to run this. But time out, time out, time out. It's not, it's not a battle. It's not a battle though, because. Well, no, it's a constant battle. No, it's it's absolutely a battle when you have a front office and a coach trying to figure out the identity of a team, trying to figure out the identity of a roster. It is a battle. It's a hundred percent a battle because they might disagree with like, okay, we're not going to give you these type of players, or we're not going to spend this money to get you this type of players. But the problem with the Frank DeBoer system is, I'll even call it utopian because in a way, there's not more than eight, nine, ten teams in the world that can run this system to a T can run this system consistently to gain success. I, I'm sure teams could pick it up for a month, pick it up for a stretch run or something like that, but there is not enough talent in this league or especially on this Atlanta United roster to consistently run the system that Frank DeBoer wants to run. So if he's like, I want to do this and the, and the front office is like, well, we'll give you these players then yeah, I mean, it, this is like Frank DeBoer has to accept, okay, well, these are the players are going to give me, so I have to adapt this a little bit to try to be successful. That's something you wouldn't do, and ultimately is probably why he's uh, looking for another job right now. Certainly, between his – But wait, the time out. What, what, what has given you the indication that there, it's been a battle between the front office and manager? It's a turn of speech. It's always a battle between what the coach wants and what the front office is willing to give them. That, that, I'm not saying there's – there's like an acrimonious relationship there. Battle is just the term you use when you're going head to head with yeah, someone I don't, I don't and the front office wants to give him something and he wants something else. Yeah. I think it's more like he went to the front office. The front office had a better understanding of how he wanted to play. And then the players they gave him were simply not good enough or almost. Square yeah, I, that, right. I just think that clearly there was not synergy there in terms of giving him the players that he, that he, or I assume he would have felt he needed to make this very ambitious system work. The players I think he was looking for at Atlanta United weren't able to get at the level at the playing level that he that Frank DeBoer was probably looking for. I think that Atlanta United was willing to give him the players that he was looking for. It just the, the quality just isn't there. Yeah, and I, but again, and that's, I, a, that's a that's a that's a product. The salary cap is product of the of, of well, playing that MLS, all that stuff. That wasn't an well, issue. Scouting too, they didn't scout the these players correctly. So I don't buy the salary cap thing, man. I really don't because you had a well built team in 2017 and 18 that you built from scratch. Then you tore. Oh, uh, but time out. But time out. You happened to find a diamond in the rough and then Miguel Almiron. So it's. Not, well, I, I, he's the last person I would point to. I mean, I'd much more be pointing at Gressels and Robinson. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You hit. On, you, you, you got. You got lucky in the first two years on your on your on your hits. But I don't know. I don't know how is it that you hit on ten guys in a row and then miss. Paul McDonough. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty unbelievable. And I and I think Paul, Paul McDonough. What's that? Well, you could say Paul McDonough. Paul McDonough. Maybe. Uh, you could also say these guys were coming to Atlanta because they wanted to play for Tata Martino. Sure. Um, but certainly we're going to learn over the next year, whether Carlos Bocanegra, Darren Neals, uh, and the brass, know what they're doing. And we're going to learn if 2017, 2018 was about them or it was about Tata Martino over the next year, because certainly the way that they rebuilt when Martino, who was, you know, an icon, you know, it makes almost a recruiting cheat code. Okay. So, when he goes, now it becomes not Tata's club. This becomes Eel's club, Boca's club. And what they've provided in terms of their responsibility, hiring the manager, deciding on the system with the manager, bringing in players to fit that system, they've not done it properly. And yet they've been arrogant enough to say, we're going to tear down what we did in 2018 and build this up on our own. So they have a year or so to prove that 2017-2018 was more was about them and not just about Tata Martino pulling in some very, very good South American players. All right, credit where credit is due. Nico, Nico Perez uh, on Twitter challenged me uh, saying that he would have fired after the after – after Atlanta United was 
um, was out of MLS back his tournament, he would have fired Frank DeBoer tomorrow. I said he should wait to the end of the year. Now that he is gone, so credit where credit is due, Nico. Uh, now that he is gone, uh, do you hire someone right away or do you just go the rest of the season when interim coach? I don't think you do it right now. I mean, the, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on right now to where you might not be able to get, you know, the best candidate to come. I think you probably write it out. I mean, like you said earlier, like if they don't think they're – if making this change right now is the decision they made, they probably don't hold out much hope for whatever the rest of the season will bring you. It's just kind of a wash already. So use this time to really go out there and find the right person for the job and also maybe let the rest of the world sort of normalize a little bit and, yeah. and allow yourself to, to get, like I just said, the, the best candidate for the job. And maybe, and maybe that could be a positive right? Because you can kind of drag your feet on this. You can kind of take your time because there's so much uncertainty where, you know, even if you play the whole year out with an interim manager, and even if you struggle, I think the fan base obviously won't be happy, but they'll understand that, look, you, you while it was your own fault for hiring Frank DeBoer, you recognize your mistake and the rest of the season maybe is kind of a wash. And that gives you quite a bit of time to go out and find the right guy. Whereas Frank DeBoer was hired, what, three weeks after MLS Cup and Tata Martino leaving. And we know that the club was probably fishing around knowing that Tata was going to leave before that. But this gives you significantly more amount of time to go out and find the right guy for the club. You mentioned disciplinarian or, or a player's coach. I'm, I'm leaning very strongly on the side of player's coach because I, I think you need someone that really, uh, at least where the players feel like they're being heard, they're being, you know, their, their specific issues are being addressed where, um, you know, you, you're, you're able to, <laughs> I guess, someone with more of a personality, number one, because uh, I think that's one of Frank DeBoer's biggest downfalls, uh, his lack of a personality, but well, someone that can really to have a personality, which is the funniest <laughs> thing about him. If you like, he like kind of tries, he's like, Oh, I'm a funny, it's just you know, the driest personality of all time. But I think the thing, I think they need to find someone that can really connect with this, with, with the players specifically yeah. on this team and, and help them kind of, find something to play for again. Cause I think one of the most damning things I saw was how frustrated pity. And I'm not a fan of pity. Like, don't get me wrong, but I felt bad because I got the sense that he was so frustrated at, at, at halftime. Um, you can see on the video or on the, in the, in the game that he kicks the ball into the stands as soon as the whistle blows. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just, I, that's the, the ultimate pent up frustration. If you've ever seen it, you, you know, something is wrong when stuff like that happens uh, because you, and it's not a surprise. I mean, you, you, I, you get a sense that they don't like each other, uh, Frank DeBoer and, uh, and Pity. And fine. Now we got to find someone that can, that can come in, get the best out of Pity, get the best out of Barco. Remember, you're still trying to sell these guys on it's, for it's something at some point. Right now, I don't know that you're making a lot of money off of Barco, even, even, uh, even if you do happen to sell them to anybody. Um, That's the first time we've yeah. said Barco on this podcast, by the way, and he's kind of been a ghost. Like, so to speak, yeah. in terms yeah. of, like, the, the player we've seen that have really good spells, have bright flashes, shown that he can be that player that wants to go to Europe. I mean, before the season, we were seeing, like, weird links to, like, Napoli and things like that. So, I mean, or Fiorentina, I believe, was actually the club. But yeah. the, the point of that being that, you know, the, 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 the flash and sometimes all that stuff is there, but at MLS is back. He had a pretty poor tournament. Yeah, and didn't look uh, his fittest. Although, again, it's hard to criticize players on fitness when they haven't played in four months, but didn't really look his active self until that third match. Um, 
bring up a great point about PT Martinez, Eric. And one thing that I would add to that is this season, PT comes into the season fit, enthusiastic. You know, he's not been great at this tournament, but I haven't, you know, I think his effort has been good. I think his, his attitude has been good. Frank DeBoer praised him publicly, you know, coming into, uh, into the season in this tournament. So quite clearly, whether it was last year where, you know, they're criticizing each other away, uh, away from the field and he's not getting the most out of him, or whether it be this season where things seemed better at first, PT came in with a different mindset. He looked fitter. And still you don't get the best out of them. So what more evidence do you need, like you said, Eric, that Frank DeBoer is not getting the best out of his players because uh, an exceptional player like P.T. Martinez, regardless of his morale, was not able to play his best under Frank DeBoer. What I will say is that I was – I think Atlanta United did a good job of proving to me that they cared about this tournament. Otherwise, they wouldn't have fired him, which I think was a surprise because they didn't yeah, know that the players or the coaches point. cared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a great point. The fact that, you know, we had kind of questioned just based on, you know, body language and, and quite frankly, effort from some of these players. We wondered if they, like, were really taking this seriously. But, you know, uh, you have to take something like this seriously because we don't know what's going to happen with the rest of this season. This could be the rest of their season. They don't know. And so for the fact that it, at least on paper or on the surface, rather, seemed like they weren't taking it super seriously, yeah, good good for the club for, you know, changing those optics real quick how, how is this Eric's fault though <laughs> oh that's a good question you know, that is a very good question far, we've come this far we'll figure it out we'll, we'll be we actually tweet at us at mots podcast why is this eric's fault and you know because i'm pretty sure that he's done something here and we got it we've got to get to the bottom of this yeah who knows i mean eric could have done any number of things uh, Eric was this, you were uh, in Florida uh, recently, weren't you? Oh, so Eric's trip to Florida. I was, was I was in Florida. Florida. I, was, maybe did this. I was in North Carolina. Somehow it's my fault. Something ha- something happened there. Maybe you can get Tata back. You, you you ran him out before. Maybe maybe you can bring him back. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, do do they go? I, I gotta imagine they go hardcore South American, right? Yeah, oh, so, yeah. Or, or maybe maybe not South American, but definitely someone Hispanic. Because I, I don't want to leave out like a Mexican coach, something like that. Uh, someone that someone that can really connect with the the with the Hispanic players. So that seemed to be where Latin the connection flair. was missed most. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I feel, it's going to be easier if you get a Spanish speaker. There are other managers that can do that because of their style. But certainly, I think you know, it, 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 if you want to hit the ground running, you would bring in yeah, you would bring in a, a South American coach, which which leads you down the path of a bunch of names, many of which were discussed before Frank DeBoer was hired a year and a half ago. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Atlanta dives back into that kind of, that, that kind of South American uh, Latino manager market that, that you mentioned, Eric, and try to kind of go back to the formula that, that worked so well for them in 2017 and 18. So there's this up and coming manager uh, named Jurgen Klopp. He just won the English Premier League. Oh. He's looking for a new challenge. You know, he's, he's conquered Europe, you know, he's won, the Champions League, he's won the English Premier League, he's won the German League. Maybe he needs a new challenge. I don't know. I don't know. Sounds risky. 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 That's that's quite the stretch, I'm not going to lie to you. Quite the (laughs) stretch. Well, I mean, that's the thing, though. You see, like, on Twitter, people are throwing out Pochettino's name. That dude's not coming here. It's like, (laughs) don't shoot that high. But time out, time out. While it's very unlikely, there is more of a connection. There's more reason to believe that that might work. Well, yeah, but just because he's South American, like, come on, man. Like, 
he's the Spurs. No, just right? yeah, just because of the connection between him and Darren Eels. Oh, Darren Eels, that's true. But I mean, come on, man, that would be that seems like a stretch to me. I know the guys like you know not you know doing anything right now or whatever. But again, you know that seems like way more because Tata Martino kind of needed Atlanta United to springboard him back into like the good graces of people being like, oh, this guy can be a manager. I don't think oh, Pochettino gosh. needs I just, that. I just what what time out time out. What if they do that again? Because look, if you look at Tata Martino, if you look at Frank DeBoer, the one thing that they have in common is that they were trying to – Oh, no. To, trying to, to re- resurrect re- the career of right. someone. Eric so, has in his hands. As Jurgen Klinsmann coming. Who, Jurgen Klinsmann who, coming. No, please, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, how, but, like, honestly, honestly, though, how, how – how, Oh my gosh. I don't think that's impossible. As much as I wouldn't no, like it, I don't either. I, really don't either. I think that's a possibility. I really do. You need someone on the way up, right? Someone who understands the city, maybe someone who coaches at the high school or club level. You know, Josh, maybe, Josh Bagrianski. Good looking guy who talks a lot on Twitter. Uh, you know, you don't have to pay him too much. I'm just saying, I'm available. Uh, I, you know, uh, I. Inter, inter, inter Atlanta might, you know, I don't know if they'd be willing to let me go or not, but feel free to get give your me resume a, ready, Josh. Feel free to give me an interview, but we have to keep doing the podcast. All right. Uh, I, before we keep going, um, just want to give a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Lucid FC. Uh, Lucid FC, distinctly modern clothing line based here in Atlanta, reflects a deeply British American heritage design approach uh, to clothing, promotes freedom of fashion, gender, and role. Uh, the brand's I iconic logo is immediately recognizable i've seen it more and more everywhere uh, different places they've got the masks so i would really go online check out their masks because they're uh, they've got the logo on them and they're, they're pretty cool and they're very breathable um, they also make pants outerwear hats shirts hoodies ask me what the fc stands for what does what the, the fc, FC stand, for? stand for lucid footwear and clothing perfect match for all wait, football wait, the fc stands fans. for lucid football and clothing that? Shut up, Josh. Damn it, Josh. Come this on. read gets more confusing every week. <laughs> check, out, check out their website, lucid, lucid.us, uh, and see why uh, everyone loves this line. Um, again, lucidfc.us. Uh, I wouldn't venture out into the world right now, but uh, if you're at one of the retailers, they're at Urban Outfitters, Wish, and uh, Epitome. So check them out. But big thanks to Lucid FC for sponsoring the podcast um i'm trying to think was there any other news <laughs> i mean there was i, I just all there is to talk about so i i mean we were literally going to just crap on this entire tournament and and how bad atlanta united played let's do another but, one do another what yeah we'll do another podcast in a couple days or something yeah we'll talk uh, about that go. later we got time because we, we don't have we don't Wait, do we not have time? I'm so confused, guys. What are we doing here? We don't have time now. We need to end this episode, but we'll talk gotcha. about the okay. next episode. <laughs> we'll talk more about the tournament. <laughs> there you go. I'm waiting for, like, the time countdown. I don't have it, but whatever. Sam is right in front of you, like, doing cut it, cut it, cut it. <laughs> what are you looking All at? All right. That does it for us. Until next time. See you later, Atlanta.